Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us today. I am really excited about this episode because we have two guests with us today. We have Maria Vargas, who is the director of the Better Buildings Challenge at the Department of Energy. And we have Christos Crisilio, who is the director of architectural and engineering services at the LA Unified School District, which is the second largest school district in the country. And just recently, the Department of Energy Better Buildings Challenge recognized um, Um, LA Unified for a really, really 21st century forward-thinking energy project with one of their buildings. And we're going to be talking about what that entailed, why that's important, and how it's my hope that other school districts and other buildings, uh, commercial buildings, can replicate what LA Unified has done. So, Maria, let's start with you. First of all, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you on because uh, I I am just astounded at some of the great stuff that you guys have on your website for the Better Buildings Challenge, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I'd love for you to talk to our listeners about uh, the Department of Energy's Better Buildings Challenge. Um, What are the goals of the program, and who are some of the entities currently involved? Sure. And maybe I'll start with just one more thing, and that is why we're doing the Better Buildings Challenge here at the Department of Energy. So if we just start with a little bit of of context, we know as a nation we spend about $200 billion a year to run commercial buildings. And when I say commercial buildings, it's anything that's not a home. It's a school, it's a grocery store, it's a hotel, it's an office building. We spend about another $200 billion to run manufacturing facilities. So that's fine because we need to use energy, but what we know on average is that buildings can save about 20 to 30% of the energy they are using because that's being wasted. Lights are on when no one's in a room, um, machines are running when they don't need to, et cetera. So, we just, but there's a, and there's all sorts of opportunities, and it's very easy to be more energy efficient. We know how to do it, but there's all sorts of reasons it's not happening. It's not happening because organization leaders aren't putting a priority on energy and energy efficiency. It's because they believe an electricity bill is something that you just pay no matter what every month. It's because sometimes they think financing can get in the way. There's a perceived risk. They don't want to do it because they are not sure it's going to work. So the Better Buildings Challenge asks organizations to lead the way to set a goal, and I mean a portfolio-wide goal. So in the case of LA Unified School District, it's not just one school, it's really all the schools. So set a 20% energy reduction goal over the next decade and to share with us what they're doing. Because Jill, as you pointed out, what's so wonderful about leaders stepping up, making a public goal, and then sharing what they're doing is that others can learn from their example and follow very quickly and not have to start at ground zero. They can really take the leadership examples that are being provided by Better Buildings Challenge partners and do the same thing in their own facilities. And to answer your last question, we have about 350 organizations that have taken the challenge. There are lots of very familiar names, folks like Hilton Hotels and Starbucks and uh, about 30 schools 
districts around the country. We have lots of manufacturers, Nissan General Mills, General Motors, lots of organizations who have come forward, set a goal, and are sharing what they're doing. And that's the exciting part about the Better Buildings Challenge. That is exciting. And I I just, I can't imagine what a great thing it's going to be as more and more people join the challenge. Christos, I actually saw you speak last year in Denver at the Green Schools National Network Conference. And I was so impressed with what you were presenting in the way that LA Unified School District runs its facilities that I asked you to email me some of your, uh, you know, the, the sheets that you had, the fact sheets on some of your buildings. And I was like, wow, this is a great way to run a school district. It's amazing. So talk to us about what motivated LA Unified School District to become involved in the Better Buildings Challenge. Good morning, Jill, and thank you so much for having us on your radio. Uh, Certainly, there's uh, several factors that motivate us to become involved in the Better Buildings Challenge. But first, let me just uh, congratulate the Department of Energy on their leadership and support on this effort, because that's one of the things that really inspired me to kind of bring the information back and just revisit uh, the goals that we had. In terms, of, in terms of joining the Better Buildings Challenge. And certainly, when we look at uh, the uh, certain uh, goals that we have uh, set up as, uh, as a district, um, really there's so many, so many great things that can happen by joining the, this challenge. First, let me talk about um, uh, how we can improve our environment by lowering our, the use of fossil fuels. If we, uh, if we look at the actual uh, challenge of reducing 20% um, within a 10 years timeline, Whereas as a district, we can remove over 83,000 of energy tanks of CO2 from our environment. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, how about creating healthier learning environments for our students? Another factor is um, lowering our growing utility bills. Our utility bills have been growing, and certainly when we look at the sharing impact on that, that it has in terms of our general fund, by uh, reducing our bills, we can be able to have an approximate $26 million annual cost avoidance. Wow. And then I'm, looking at, I'm looking at the impact that we can have on our environment by engaging our students and teachers. As you mentioned earlier, we are the second largest district in the nation, and we're serving over 660,000 students with a portfolio of approximately 1,200 schools and centers. That includes approximately 13,500 buildings with over 70 million square feet of building area. We distribute across 6,500 acres of land. So we wanted to accomplish aggressive and energy and water conservation goals to address energy usage and cost. And the Better Buildings Challenge was a great avenue on setting up these goals for us. That is tremendous, so, Christos. Wow. Yeah. And, ahead, and, and what I want to add, the great thing about it, joining the Better Buildings Challenge is that we share similar goals and objectives with other partners who can benefit from each other. You know, we're working with the leadership and guidance from the Department of Energy, and, the, and it has been very beneficial for all of us as they have a wealth of experience and knowledge to help us navigate through complex issues. That is fantastic. Congratulations. And and again, I can't get over how impressive uh, LA Unified's approach is to this this very important topic. And when you talk about $26 million that you'll save um, by reaching your goal of, of cutting your energy usage by 20%, I'll bet there's a lot of other things that 
uh, that $26 million can be used for that are educational purposes rather than utility bills. That's amazing. Maria, back to you. Um, so just last week, the Department of Energy recognized LA Unified for its achievements um, at a showcase project. Um, it's their Santee Educational Complex. Talk to us about the aspects of this project that made it noteworthy and what are some of the uh, replicable best practices that other school districts might be able to glean from this project that you recognized? It was wonderful to be in person at the Santee Educational Complex with Christos and his team. And there were a number of things that make this a great example for other schools to follow. And those are both technical and organizational. So let me focus on the technical stuff first. And by that, I mean, what are the kinds of upgrades that uh, Christos and his team and the uh, school district did to make Santee so much more energy efficient? So there were things like interior and exterior lighting upgrades. So a lot of LED lighting used throughout the facility. Uh, They use an energy management system, so a way to track the energy. Christos can talk more about that. Um, They did work on their heating and cooling system, and then in various places they uh, use sensors to detect when people are in a room, in a classroom, and they can uh, use energy accordingly. And then they did some recommissioning, so making sure that the equipment is working right. And so those are all things, when you think about those, those are upgrades and the kinds of things that not only other schools should do, but all sorts of other buildings should be doing. And to be quite honest, we should be thinking about in our homes too, right? Make sure that we have the most efficient Mm -hmm. products and that we're using them right. And so that's very important. And together and doing all those things together really made the difference in driving the energy performance uh, improvements at Santee. But I would say the other part of what they did that was so great was that it was a team effort. It was really from the top down. The school district has been very supportive of these kinds of efforts. Christos and his team engaged people at and staff at the school. And it was fun while we were at Santee to meet a couple students as well. So the school district is being very thoughtful, not only about money and energy savings, but how to engage the people that are in those classrooms in making sure that they understand what's going on and that the students understand the opportunities that efficiency can provide. And the hope is that that becomes part of their education and things that they carry with them as they move past uh, K through 12 and move on to other schools and uh, higher education. I love that. I love that. When when a building becomes more than just a place that you learn, but, but becomes the, actually part of the learning itself, a learning laboratory, just by being in a, a well-run space, uh, that's so powerful. Absolutely. And the mm-hmm. students were so impressive. Impressive, committed, knowledgeable, and are just wonderful examples of how important it is to include them in the learning. Oh, 100%. If I could just, you know, add a bunch of exclamation points and underlines to that. That was a great statement. Christos, I work with school districts all over the country, and a lot of them are under the impression that only new buildings can be energy efficient. But the Santee Education Complex was actually opened in 2005, and it was retrofitted to use less energy. How did you first identify this particular project as one that needed energy retrofits. That's interesting enough, uh, Jill. So, um, Santee High School was first um, selected in 2011 to undergo a comprehensive audit. 
because it was identified as the second highest energy consuming facility that we have within the district. And it had a source energy use intensity of 163. So that really was very alarming, and we noticed that that appeared in several of our newer schools. Uh, so after we've done some research, what we have learned is that newer schools uh, use more energy, and, and, and that is because of uh, all the new systems that we have been installing to create uh, comfort levels within the uh, within their occupants of the buildings, based on your requirements. Mainly, uh, when you look at lighting and mechanical systems, um, you know all those new systems that we have applied uh, most recently in our newer buildings to increase um, the actual um, energy usage of the building. So, um, so what we've done is, and uh, what we have noticed, uh, I'm sure you've noticed the same thing, is that the last 10 years. We have seen a massive uh, technological um, effort where a lot of the systems became more efficient. And we noticed that um, these systems that we have today, they can give us a great amount of efficiency on our facilities. They can lower our consumptions by anywhere from 30 to 50 percent, depending on what the measures are. That is that is amazing. And so you were benchmarking your energy use um, in order to find this out, correct? Correct, yeah. So we benchmarked, and we went ahead and benchmarked all of our buildings to see what the energy usage intensity was. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, did, we had some findings. So it's great to benchmark and, and get to know your buildings better. Certainly. Yep. That's absolutely critical. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more with Maria and Christo. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Music. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you're just joining us, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Maria Vargas, and she is uh, the director of the Better Buildings Challenge with the U.S. Department of Energy, and Christos Crisilio, who is um, in charge of the architectural and engineering uh, services at LA Unified School District. And our topic today is something that I get really geeky about, and that is energy efficiency and energy conservation. Um, Before we went to break, Christos was mentioning that LA Unified, which is a huge school district, second largest school district in the country, they benchmark uh, the energy usage of their buildings. And when they did that, they identified a, a fairly new building that was opened in 2005, but it was using an incredible amount of energy per square foot. And so that's how they identified the Santee High School as one that, that could be you know, beneficial to bring its energy use down. And they were just recognized by the Department of Energy last week um, and, and for their accomplishments with this building. Maria, when you visited the Santee campus, what were some of the most memorable things that you observed? I, I mean, if the average person, the everyday visitor on campus, went on campus, looked around, what might they see that would provide evidence that this is an energy efficient campus? Well, I think that that's an interesting question to ask because, let me give you an example. My first stop at Santee was the library, and I don't think that you notice efficiency. I think that's the goal is that you come into the library. What you do notice is that it's well lit. You can read the books. You can read the books that are on the stacks. It is a comfortable place. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. So whether people notice that or it's the lack of noticing that sometimes is more what sets energy efficiency apart. So I think it is being comfortable in the space and that's what I experienced when I went to Santee. We we were fortunate enough to walk around uh, a large part of the facility and we were able to go into classrooms and we were hearing things from both students and teachers that it used to be hot or it used to be cold, but now they can regulate and have an influence on the temperature in the classroom so that the temperature isn't something they notice anymore. So it's a funny answer to your question. In some ways, what efficiency, in many ways, what efficiency allows you is not to notice things, right? Mm-hmm. So you're comfortable, you can read what's on your, uh, on your screen or in your book, and you don't have to worry about not being in a comfortable place. And I think that's what efficiency gives you, is having your cake and eating it too. You're not wasting energy, you're not wasting money, but you're in a place and the way that the lighting and heating, ventilating, and air conditioning equipment is set up, it allows you to do those things comfortably. And mm-hmm. so the goal of energy efficiency is not to notice energy in some ways, right? So if you are 
you know, somebody who's very interested in the technologies like both Christos and I are, yeah, you can look up in the ceilings and see there the new lighting and you can go look at the energy management system and look at how it's tracking everything and all different aspects of the building. But most people wouldn't notice that. And I think that's a good thing. I do too. And I, I love the answer to that question because we're not talking about austerity conditions here. We're not talking about turning off every other light Correct. and making it, you know, dim and, you know, freezing everybody in the winter by not having the heating on. I think that that is a really important point to underscore for other schools who may be considering a project like this. This is optimizing the performance of your building, not degrading it. So that's I, I exactly that's right. important. So, Chris, yes. I am very interested in what Maria just brought up, the energy management system. Um, I would love for you to talk to us about how that works, what it costs, what's its payback period. Um, you know, tell us, as if you were speaking to the whole nation's worth of, of school districts, um, what can you tell us about the energy management system that you installed? Great. So, um uh, so let's just focus on the EMS systems because uh, we used to have an EMS system there to begin with when the school opened up, but we had certain, certain challenges um, when we went and looked at the EMS systems, and what we discovered is that it was not operating efficiently and needed to be upgraded uh, to a newer uh, what we call protocol system, and I can expand on that later. Um, it, was not, it was not communicating very well with the other subsystems, and pretty much this, uh, the actual system itself it needed a new upgrade uh, to use the latest technology and software that it needed to run efficiently. So we've done those upgrades. So if I was to explain what an EMS system, maybe I can best explain it as a, as a music uh, conductor. You know, we take mm-hmm. pretty much all the different mechanical systems, chillers, boilers, air handling units, fan coil units, pumps, and, and make sure that everything works in harmony. So um, yeah, it's pretty much um, an EMS is a customized computer program. Uh, that talks to all these components through uh, digital controls. And we use what we call an open protocol language, uh, BACnet. You know, so in the past, um, we specified different kind of systems, but we knew that uh, we know now with open protocol, we can be able to um, use and customize software and do, uh, it has its own advantages to be able to do that um, and even be able to talk to it remotely. So um, this system uh, Pretty much what we do is customize to reflect the owner's requirements based on the operating schedules and temperatures parameters that we would like to have. And then uh, the EMS will constantly monitor these data points, such as interior temperature, exterior temperature, the, in, the indoor CO2 levels, which are very important uh, inside the classrooms, uh, through the use of a thermostat, and we can be able to adjust them accordingly. So. Um, at any given time, uh, based on these readings, the EMS systems um, can prompt the chillers to increase uh, cooling loads um, when the day gets warmer, um, or um, it can increase or decrease uh, the fan speeds in a particular area to maintain a set temperature. Let's say if we have CO2 levels uh, that are becoming too high in a classroom, the EMS system can pull more outside air uh, to be mixed with the indoor air. So this also serves as a tool for... Um, identifying any malfunctioning equipment and by giving us some kind of a notification so we can dispatch our maintenance and operations staff to go out and troubleshoot issues immediately uh, rather than uh, having delayed response to, to fix the problems within uh, the space. So, but the cost of the EMS varies and is site-specific, you know, what uh, systems you have. I can tell you S&T where we replace an older system uh, but we use some of the existing conduits that we had in place 
some of the other infrastructure, the cost was approximately about $460,000. Mm-hmm. And the payback for that, compared to our baseline, we expect anywhere between 7 to 10 years payback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's great about that is, I mean, that, that seems like, I know to school board members who have to run every four years, probably in most school districts, if LA's like that, you know, that's a couple of election cycles. <laughs> and when they have to take a vote on, you know, whether or not to budget for some of these things, that can seem like a long payback period. But the bottom line is, you know, our school districts will run, you know, infinitum and energy costs are not going down. So, um, you know, they're, they're only expected to rise over the, the coming decades. So making an investment like this, um, I mean, for those of us in this space, we're like, it just makes sense. But but I realize that, you know, those kind of payback periods can be a little bit scary to the people actually voting on the budget. But but uh, that's actually a pretty short payback period. That's amazing. Maria, you know, LA Unified being the second largest district in the U.S., um, you know, they've got a whole lot of energy usage to manage. But it also means that they have the ability to hire pros like Christos. Can you talk to us about you know, what a smaller school district, maybe they have people running their facilities department who have no professional training in build, building engineering at all. Can they benefit from joining the Better Buildings Challenge? Absolutely. The, the goal of the whole Better Buildings Initiative at the Department of Energy is to share what works. And I don't mean theoretically what works. I mean really what works so that you have um, – dollar savings and measures and what they took and what they resulted in across the board. And so they, and part of the way we think about our partners in the Better Buildings Challenge, which is really the leadership circle of this initiative, is that we have large and small school districts. I have large and small retailers, east and west coast school districts. We have organizations that are public and private. We've really tried to make sure that this circle of leaders represents any and all varieties of building ownership and type in the country so that there are models out there for everyone. So I think that's really important. But I think the other thing that's really important, and it's one of the things that we are trying to counter as we're talking to building owners and managers is this idea that schools can only learn from schools. I think when you sit down, and this is one of the reasons we did a very fun series that people should go check out on YouTube called the Better Buildings Challenge Swap. We ask different energy management teams to swap jobs. So season one, if you will, was Hilton and Whole Foods. Season two was the Air Force versus the Navy. Season three was two different cities, LA and Boston. And the last one was L'Oreal and General Motors. And you can see by the kinds of, you wouldn't think that maybe Hilton could learn a lot from Whole Foods or vice versa. But the reality is when you think about energy and energy issues, the things that these groups are grappling with, so it's a large or small school district, are very similar. And so the, the big sort of takeaway I'm hoping for people on the Better Buildings Challenge for this show is to go to the website that the Department of Energy has called the Better Building Solution Center. And it's there we have over a thousand different solutions. So these are organizations, large and small, public and private, many of them school districts, who are sharing what they've done, what barrier they've faced in terms of energy efficiency and how to make that happen. And I mean that organizationally and technically and how they overcame it. So that the chances are pretty good as 
small district like the one you described, Jill, might have a barrier of maybe I can't finance it or I'm only one person. What can I do? And so the Better Building Solutions Center is a great place to start to figure out who had that same problem and how did they overcome it and what were really the secrets to their success. So check out the Better Buildings Challenge Swap if you want some fun um, reality TV, if you will, and then check out the Better Building Solutions Center because it's really a great place to start when you want to see what other people have faced and how they've been successful. I love that, Maria. And, you know, I know that sometimes people don't always think of, you know, going to U.S. government websites for for information like this. And and I actually promote that all of the time. And I, you know, people will ask me questions and I will say, I'll send them links to the EPA's website or Department of Energy's website of a specific piece, just like what you mentioned. But that kind of content is so valuable. And I just have to say, thank you to you and your team for putting that together. And now if we can just make sure that that content is well known amongst, you know, all these different stakeholder groups, um, that's going to be really important. Exactly. Yep. Yes. Perfect. Exactly. Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Maria and Christos. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. 
Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're talking about energy, which if you are a longtime listener, you know is one of my favorite sustainability topics. And there's so many reasons why. I mean, saving energy saves money. We know that in almost every community, energy is one of the top two contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. Um, We know that for people who are concerned about national security issues, energy independence would require us to be energy efficient. There's just so many reasons to get behind um, energy efficiency and energy conservation. And today our show is talking about how LA Unified School District is really getting on board with this in a serious way, um, involving their students, their staff, um, to create more energy efficient buildings and really because they pay their utility bills with taxpayer dollars, they're being great stewards of taxpayer dollars by uh, joining the Better Biz, uh, Buildings Challenge through the U.S. Department of Energy and working hard to curb their energy use. Christos, there was uh, a component of what you did at the Santee Complex that I wanted to highlight. Um, I'd like for you to talk to us about the impact of occupancy sensors and retro-commissioning set points. Um, I'd really love to hear more about those two things. Absolutely, Joan. Yeah, so according to, just to set up a baseline, according to industry standards, occupancy sensors can create approximately about 15% lighting efficiency based on the runtime uh, that they have. So uh, for us at Daily Unified, we set up the occupancy sensors at the vacancy mode. Uh, which requires someone to turn on the lights on when they're using the space, but they will automatically turn off uh, when there's no occupants in the space. So um, this gives us another level of energy efficiency uh, by requiring our staff to turn lights uh, on at the, at the switch. So let's say if a teacher wants to um, enter a room uh, during lunchtime to pick up something, um, they can opt out not to turn the lights on, which have... Uh, usually stayed on for another 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the set points that we have. Mm. So, uh, yeah, also this vacancy mode uh, prevents uh, any kind of false alarms, such as, let's say, if the mechanical systems kick in and we have air flowing uh, through the systems that can be triggered, um, that w- those uh, lights won't turn on just because, again, we set them up on uh, vacancy mode. Uh, so they are great. So in terms of retro-commissioning, it's a good practice to perform at least every five years. And the reason for that is that uh, some of the older systems that they use, pneumatic controls, um, you know, where they have uh, the mechanical sensors uh, tend to drift over time, they have to re- be recalibrated to the original set points. So um, it's the same thing with the direct digital controls, uh, where all these electronic sensors need to be recalibrated every so often. So it's a good practice to kind of do that every so often, so often by people that do have the experience. Um, also, in terms of um, software updates and the newer technology, it's a good set point to go and just update the software to make sure that all the components are working uh, properly under optimum uh, capacity. That's so smart. I, I just, you know, it, you make it sound so straightforward and, and simple, but I, I know that a lot of school districts don't have that kind of a process in place. Um, so I'm hoping they can, you know, check out what you've done and, and listen very hard to these <laughs> really sage pieces of advice about how to run buildings. Um, Maria, 
financing energy efficiency projects can be a big concern, especially for school districts um, that are constantly on a tight budget, um, very little latitude in how they use their funding. A lot of school districts have very close to 90% of their general fund uh, going to salaries. So they just, you know, they don't have a lot of leeway there. So talk to us about the financing navigator section of the Better Building Challenge website and how school districts might be able to leverage that information. Sure. So I wish that I could say school districts were the only kind of organizations that struggled with financing, but Mm -hmm. they're not. So for many organizations, large, small, public, or private, sometimes financing Uh, is an issue. So one of the things that we did here at the Department of Energy on the Better Building Solutions Center was to create a financial navigator. We're trying to combat a couple different things here with a financial navigator. The first is why energy efficiency investments like the ones we've been talking about today uh, make such good financial sense. So lots of times companies think about financing and they have they use efficiency in the same way with, they would think of a much riskier investment. So there's all sorts of ways to th- and important things to think about when you're considering energy efficiency financing. The other challenge you have with financing is that organizations have will finance projects the way they've always financed it. When the reality is there's all these different innovative ways to finance efficiency projects, again, in school districts, in states, in public or private organizations. So the financial navigator on the Better Building Solutions Center allows you to understand all the different kinds of financing opportunities that exist out there, what makes sense for your kind of organizations. In the next uh, couple weeks, we're actually going to be producing a series of primers, very sector-specific. So how do school districts, how have they been successful in different kinds of both traditional but then new sorts of financing? And it's really those case studies and those um, that broad availability of information on financing and the options that we're hoping that school districts and other organizations take advantage of. So like the Better Building Solutions Center, it's all about what's really happened, what people have really used. And so if a school district is interested in how other school districts have financed their efficiency upgrades and the different kinds of things that they have done and have been successful, that's the whole point of the financial navigator on the Better Building Solutions Center. Got it. That's so useful. Gosh, you guys have really thought through the resources that you've put together. I just love that. Christos, I would love to hear more about how students were involved in the Santee Project because Maria mentioned how impressive they were when she came to visit. Tell us a little bit more about the involvement of students. Absolutely, Jill. You know, one of our priorities is to prepare our students to become college ready. So for us, seeing our students excel and, and trying to collaborate between sustainability uh, and STEAM and just using STEAM in the, in the classroom to be able to uh, support environmental stewardship. It's a big component. So we had several programs. One of the programs that came out of our Proposition 39, um, uh, we developed a whole program called SEED. That's, uh, that's a student energy auditor program. Mm-hmm. And this, this program was administered by the uh, LA Unified Worker Education Office. And it was uh, done in, with, uh, in conjunction with the California Energy Conservation Corps. This program, what it offered, um, it trained the students in providing a hands-on experience in energy audits by collecting site data and preparing reports. Um, they really gained a very valuable experience, 
and they were rewarded initially um, with stipends. Uh, but then we realized that it's more important to provide them certifications because education, to me, it's extremely more important because they can use that, uh, those certificates to uh, launch new uh, uh, jobs or uh, launch their careers. So we gave them um, green certifications from the U.S. Green Building Council, and then we gave them the uh, uh, Building Analyst Certification uh, from the Building Performance Institute. So this really provided the opportunity for them to increase their respective college and career, and career readiness. Um, another program that we had the uh, students from Santee and other schools participate is um, another contest that we developed. And that contest actually was developed um, just looking at some of the work that the Department of Energy was doing and us trying to correlate um, education um, and sustainability. And we came up with a program called Heroes for Zero. The mm -hmm. Heroes for Zero uh, program and contest really engages schools in activities that make our schools zero net energy. So we did take the word heroes and break it down into attributes, and each attribute has a component where the students have to exhibit or the teams of students have to exhibit understanding in the different uh, areas of sustainability. So, for example, health, uh, the H for health and wellness, E for education, R for organizing partnerships, O for optimizing uh, performance, E for efficiency, and S for sharing practices. So all those attributes was uh, things that we kind of uh, thought we put together to get our students to be involved and understand more about energy efficiency. So those are two good examples that we've used through time to engage our students in, in energy efficiency. I love that. I absolutely love that. That is amazing. There are so many great lessons that we can learn from LA Unified, and um, that is a big one. I just love the way that you've integrated students into this opportunity. Maria, I want to skip to a, a subject that's a little bit different, but, but it's a part of your solutions tab um, on the Better Buildings Challenge. You have a tab under solutions labeled resilience, and I would love for you to talk to us about the nexus between energy efficiency and resilience. There's a lot of connection between uh, energy and resilience. So resilience is really how are you able to function and uh, anticipate and be ready for um, any sort of, you know, event that may happen, sort of, sort of you know, a disaster, an extreme event. And so there's lots of things that thinking about efficiency um, can do as you are, and they're really the cornerstone for us is, as you think about being efficient. One of the things that Christos uh, talked a little bit about and what's been really important for not a, only LAUSD, but also all the Better Buildings Challenge partners, and that is the need to know how much energy and where they're using it. I know that sounds so obvious, but you would be very surprised at the number of organizations that we work with that really don't have a handle on, perhaps because they're nationwide or international organizations. They just don't know how much energy they use at every facility. And then if you don't know how much energy you're using, you're unable to benchmark. That is, sort of get, assess how 
good you are compared to other buildings like your building. And so without that data, so energy efficiency and knowing how much energy you use, knowing how you use it, when you use it, um, is really important. And so that's the first step to becoming resilient, right? It's hard to get back online if you don't know where you're using energy or how much or um, where that's coming from. And so one of the things that's really important, um, energy efficiency not only, sell, not only says, you know, how much energy you're using where, but how do you eliminate the waste, right? So if you're trying to get a building back online after some extreme event, but that building was really wasteful, that's just going to be all the harder rock to push up the hill. And so I think that there are a whole bunch of things um, that are really important to um, think about when you, um, you know, are looking at energy issues and how to make it more resilient. And there, as you point out, are a whole host of resources on DOE's page about not only what the opportunities are, everything from, you know, thinking through a distributed generation or backup mm-hmm. power and all of those things, um, to uh, thinking through what good examples and what good planning looks like when it comes to resilience. And that's all on the Better Buildings uh, website at the Department of Energy. Yeah, and it's so good. I can't recommend the website enough. The Better Buildings Challenge from U.S. Department of Energy. It's just amazing. Life-changing, if you will. (laughs) It's really, really good. So I hope our listeners get out there and and check it out. (laughs) So we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we have more with Maria and Christos. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all tune in. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guests today are Maria Vargas from the United States Department of Energy's Better Buildings Challenge and Christos um, Chris, uh, Chrysalou. He is the Director of Architectural and Engineering Services at LA Unified School District. Christos, in order to get ready for this show, I super duper stalked you guys online and I saw that there is an Energy and Resource Conservation Policy Bulletin on the LA Unified website. It's dated in 2015. Um, it was issued by the chief facilities executive that holds principals at each school site responsible for quite a long list of conservation measures at their school sites. And, you know, I, you know, I work with school districts all over the place, and some people say that principals need to focus on education. Um, so talk to us about why it's important for principals to be involved and accountable for facilities issues like energy and water consumption. Um, thanks, Jay. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much, you know, principals, I, I will say that probably have one of the most challenging jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the school leaders. Um, they're leaders uh, of their schools, and they're role models uh, that lead by example. So for us as facility managers, um, we're here to support the school principals to succeed in their jobs by providing healthy and safe learning environments. So um, the measures that we should to the schools is to provide a guide for best practices as it relates to energy and resource conservation. So we know that by saving and by working with the school principals and their staff and by saving resources, we're saving money that can be used to be put back in the classroom. By Mm -hmm. saving our energy and water resources, uh, we'll also teach our next generation of leaders to be better stewards for the environment. So this is aligned with their mission as well. So I always see a collaboration between education, uh, uh, and and uh, sustainability, so it's it's in line with education and instruction. So mm-hmm. we have to continue that collaboration um, and make sure that we coordinate uh, with them to understand the programs that we have as well and encourage uh, you know participation and and student participation in mm-hmm. sustainable behavior and and try to increase the overall residual impact that we have. So that's why for us, uh, besides these policies, we. Uh, implement contests and we'll try to engage them. I know that they have an extremely busy schedule, but also uh, at the same time we do recognize that they want to be a part of this. They want to help support this greater effort because they they understand the importance um, of sustainability and sustainable behavior um, within the classroom and within the environment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I, I have a hunch that when principals go through uh, training to become school administrators, they may not get a whole lot of training in facilities issues. I could be wrong. But you tell me, Christos, do you think that principals are receiving adequate training in managing facilities issues like this? Um, they do get training uh, as part of a uh, new construction program or when we modernize the school. We do have district standards, and we also follow the, uh, the collaborative high-performance schools, which has um, some prerequisites for us uh, in terms of when we uh, uh, open up a facility that we train 
I will provide training in terms of operations and maintenance um, to the uh, principals and their staff so they know how to um, use the systems that we've, uh, we've included in our schools. So there is training, but um, at the same time, I feel that it would be nice to have a continuous training, perhaps every so many years, but the training is there, and it's part of our processes that we have. So it's actually training that LA Unified School District provides, and I guess I, sh- I didn't make myself clear. I was thinking, you know, there's um, you know master's degrees in educational leadership and PhDs in, you know, administrating educational, you know, uh, districts and things like that. And and when I look at the curriculum, when I look at the courses that are involved in those programs, I don't see a lot of um, emphasis on facilities issues. But it sounds like that you guys make up for that by creating internal training. Is that accurate? So there's some internal training in terms of uh, you know, when you open up a new school, when you modernize a facility to go through the process and share um pretty much the manuals and, and go over just a specific items on how they can operate the, the systems that we install at the school. I think that's great. And that's, again, one more way that LA Unified School District is, you know, is ensuring that the programs are successful. Um, you've put a lot of thought into the training of the people that are going to be ultimately held accountable for the performance of these facilities. So I, I think that's phenomenal. You know, Maria, during the commercial break, you and I were talking about how, yes, this is a talk about energy, but it's a talk about something that's much more uh, rudimentary. I mean, we're, we're not just talking about saving energy. We're talking about something that happens at the leadership level. Talk to us about what you think this, how this whole topic should be couched in a larger discussion? Yeah, I'm going to answer that two ways. And sort of the larger discussion is on all the things that efficiency does for us as a country, right? It helps us be more competitive. We can save tens of billions of dollars if we all just eliminate the energy waste that exists in our buildings. And that not only helps our economy, but our environment and our workforce. So, it's a win across the board for everyone, sort of largely. So there's no reason not to do efficiency. I can't think of one. But I think the other thing that you and I were talking about that I just want to spend a minute because I think that it's really important for people listening um, to think through efficiency and what it takes to sort of make it happen through an organization, right? You can do it at one building maybe, but if you think about sort of making it happen across an organization, as someone who sits and talks to hundreds of organizations and watches those who do efficiency successfully, I've noticed there are five five things that those organizations have in common. We've already talked about a couple of them. Setting a goal. It's impossible to, you know, hit your mark if you don't know what you're trying to hit. So set a goal. Make it public so you're accountable. Know that data matters. But I think the other things that are really important are the difference one person can make. I look across the organizations. Again, I work with Fortune 100 organizations, small school districts. I mean, it really runs the gamut. But I will tell you, in all those organizations, regardless of public, private, large, or small, it takes a champion, it takes one person and a team to really make it happen. And so whenever people say, I can't do it, I'm just one person, I will point to the hundreds of organizations I work with that prove that that's not true. So I think that 
technology is important, but it's really the team of people, the champion, and the team of people either working with that champion in the organization, like LA Unified School District has such a strong team mm-hmm. um, with Christos as part of it, working within the school district, but it's also the utilities they're working with and the other stakeholders in the LA community that make it work, but right. that those organizations are really focused on you know, making it happen. And the last thing that everyone who's successful is, is they're never done, right? You're never done. You're always yeah. trying to be better. And that's really, really important. So I think that's the one takeaway that I want people to have. It is about technology. It is about using the latest technologies, but it's also about the power of people and individuals to bring that technology and that change to their organization. That's called leadership. That's called leadership. Right. I love it. So we have like about a minute left, Christos. And so in that remaining minute left on the show, I would love to give you the chance to give some parting thoughts to leave with our listeners regarding energy conservation in our nation's schools. Absolutely. And I, and I start by saying, uh, you know, that to everyone just should join the Better Billions Challenge. Honestly, it's one of the, you're going to find it very rewarding for yourselves, for your companies, for society. We need to all work together. Uh, for, for me, energy conservation in our schools is a vital step in the process for mm-hmm. developing healthier learning environments, and we do this through education and awareness, uh, through partnerships, and by also empowering our youth as a school district. And so we need it. to continue to inspire one another to this, tra- to this behavior transformation for a more sustainable and resilient future. Perfect. So I really want to thank Ms. Maria Vargas and her team for the amazing work they're doing. They continue inspiring us to do more. And Jill, I really want to thank you for having us on your show today. It was my pleasure, Christos and Maria. I loved talking with you guys today. I'm so inspired, and I know our listeners are too. You know, folks, we're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. So until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.